0: Open your Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and we will again begin with verse 11. Galatians chapter 6 beginning with verse 11. This is the word of God and it is eternally true. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Those who desire to make a good showing to you in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. I want to make it just a quick note here. It's very interesting. Some of you have heard of F.F. Bruce, the great biblical scholar from, uh, I think it was Manchester. I'm not sure where he taught. Uh, Probably the probably the most respected biblical scholar of the second half of the 20th century. Very interesting reading his commentary on this, that at the very end of his commentary in the book of Galatians, he says that we never can stop being vigilant about how the law and legalism come back into faith, and we think that we can begin to earn the approval of God. And then he applies it to today, and he says, and even today... Um, this is still a problem with us, and he said there are those who still today, you know, call us to uh, to trust in our good deeds and our works. Well intentioned though they are, and I thought that was fascinating. That here it gives us the intentions of the Judaizers. What are their intentions? They're not good intentions, are they? You know, it says what their intentions are and they're evil. Right. But when we deal with one another, we say good intention, though, you are. What is the intention of those who uh, try to hold us again? in bondage to the law and to producing our own righteousness. What are their intentions today? They're the same as they were back then. They're the intentions of avoiding persecution, the intention of trying to make ourselves good enough for God, trying to uh, earn our way. In other words, no, we don't have good intentions. It can be a way of speaking that's very gentle and very British. But the fact is, Paul tells us what the intentions were there. And it's likely that they're at least as sinful today as they were back then. I just thought I'd make that note because I thought it was fascinating. He says, those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire, okay, the intentions, they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. In other words... How many people we have following us. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Now, if you look at verse 16, you'll see that it's a benediction. It's a blessing. It's, it's good things to you. All right. Good things to the Galatians. And what are they? It says, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. In other words, uh, peace, shalom. This is how Jews would would label their letters shalom. Mercy, grace, joy is how uh, the, the Romans would do it. Uh, here's good things to you. In verse 16 though it's qualified, isn't it? It says those who will walk by this rule peace and mercy be upon them. Now you can't see that without realizing that those who will not walk by this rule, peace and mercy not be upon them. I told you how Donald Gray Barnhouse, the great uh, preacher of 10th uh, Pres and in uh, Philadelphia maybe I didn't tell you this but I should Uh, that often at the end of his services he would say now grace, mercy and peace be upon those of you who belong to Jesus Christ and have true faith and those of you who have rejected Jesus Christ may God's curse come upon you until you cannot live one more day without faith in Jesus Christ and that's kind of what's going on here it's saying grace grace Mercy and peace, it's saying, uh, those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And you know, Paul can't miss getting in a final jab, can he? And then you have that next verse where he says what? Don't hassle me. I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Very interesting. Last week. that our our time of studying the word was extremely offensive to some and a great blessing to others Um, and you know there are always things I do which are offensive and I give you full freedom to complain to me about that honestly uh, there was a family that that expressed concern to me this last week and they did rightly so Uh, something I did in that sermon was offensive but Some were offended because of the personal nature, not of me, but of the Apostle Paul, in holding himself up as an example. That is offensive to us. It's very offensive. And that offense calls for us to repent if we find the personal nature of the preaching of the gospel whether done by Paul or by a preacher today to be offensive it's probably because we are not in fellowship with Jesus Christ and don't try to come up with a principle that you can be offended. We all are very good at coming up with principles. Your wife jabs you one place and, and you show her that she, she's been offensive to you long before. Honey, you're not talking to me tonight. Well, I did talk to you last night and you didn't seem to want to talk to me then. <laughs> uh, well, you're not talking to me tonight. Well, I don't like your breath. Um, honey, don't you love me? Of course I love you. How many times do I have to tell you I love you? If you love me, you wouldn't have cooked what you cooked tonight. You know, and and we always are trying to find places where we can give a dig at somebody else. And so people often think that if they can attack the preacher that they don't have to repent to God. And I want to warn you, it doesn't work that way. To the degree that it's not me that's offensive, but the Word of God. And be honest. That's what it is a lot of the time. You're not dealing with God by dealing with me. You may be able to have everybody in the congregation looking at you and and you say you know how you do it with kids you want to steal the cookie off their plate because they there're no more on the tray at the center of the table and they have two and you know they won't notice that it's gone so you're sitting there and you say to your little 4 year old look at the birdie you know and they go whoa where's the birdie and the cookie's gone well we're very good at that in churches you know look at the pastor and everybody looks at the pastor and our sin doesn't have to be repented of. (laughs) Don't worry. I know I sin. I know that there are things I do in sermons that are wrong. All right. But that's not my point here. My point here is don't think you can point to your husband or wife or your pastor or the elders or everybody else and escape dealing with God. God is the judge. I am not. We make fallible judgments as elders because that's our calling. But one day we will stand before God and that can be a thing of great joy to you or it can be a thing of great sorrow and I just encourage you to have that be a a thing of great joy keep a clean conscience don't settle yourself to live according to the standards of the people around you because in the land of the blind the one-eyed man is king we live in a corrupt generation And if you go looking around at other people and try to gauge relative to them how good God will think you are, it's hopeless. Because we live in a corrupt generation. We live in a generation and in a nation that specializes in hypocrisy. Uh, Look at God. Look at his word. Let it speak to you in its full-blooded direct way and the apostle paul says those who will live by this rule and that means those who won't live by this rule none of the blessings none of the blessings right so here he is he gives the benediction the blessing you know mercy peace grace those who will live by this rule don't hassle me i bear on my body the brand marks of jesus and then an unequivocal blessing the final verse right The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And there's no, uh, you know, there's no jab there, is there? Right? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now let me ask a question. Look at the book of Galatians and think, to whom it's written. Think people groups. The people that it was written to are dead, right? You still have people groups. Who are the Galatians today? They're the residents of the nation of Turkey. All right. Has God's grace stayed on the people of Galatia? Today, the nation of Turkey has about 30 million people. Of those 30 million, 150,000 formally. Call themselves believers. Of that hundred and fifty thousand, the best estimate is somewhere around a thousand of them have true faith in Jesus Christ. Has the grace of Jesus Christ stayed with the people of Galatia? It hasn't. There are many of us that have a very godly heritage. And it's not at all clear that the grace of Jesus Christ will abide with us. It's not at all clear that the grace of God is abiding. The grace of Jesus Christ is abiding on the United States of America, is it? At some point, there has to be a connection between faith and actions. A man says that he loves God and hates his brother. The testimony of Scripture is, in John, first John, what? That he's a liar. All right? America says to love Jesus and America slaughters her unborn children at the rate of what? 1.3. Uh, the estimates are varying today, but certainly somewhere around a million a year. What about elderly? What about the elderly? What about the newborn who are defective? What about the children that are found to have spina bifida? Do you know that there are very few spina bifida babies today? Do you know why that is? It's because it's diagnosed in the womb and they're killed. So we don't have to worry about baby does today with spina bifida. What about our sexual content of what we watch? What's in our video stores? What about a rate of divorce? What about the rate of abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse? You think of Galatia and then you think of the United States of America and the wonderful godly heritage we have as a nation. It's not at all clear that the grace of Jesus Christ is going to abide with this country, right? I often find myself remembering the statement, I still have 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And God's mercy, you remember the little dialogue with Abraham. And so, uh, you know, about Sodom and Gomorrah, and if if I find, and if I find, all right, all right, even if, but what if there's only, all right, all right. That's what we should be praying for America today. And so here we come to the end, and the Apostle Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. and we think about the whole controversy that is this book of Galatians. From beginning to end, it's a controversial book. We know that. And I don't mean controversial in the, in the sense that it's salacious, like uh, uh, The Last Temptation of Christ or some of this, this, this uh, I'm sorry, but this absolutely idiotic announcement that Jesus has been found dead, you know. Uh, sensational, you know. Uh, controversial now this book is controversial in the sense that Paul is engaging in a war he's a fighter and the book is his punch, his bullet, his sword the book of Galatians is anything but passive and neutral It's, 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 if you don't mind me saying so, quite masculine every single weapon that can be brought to use is used personal attack ridicule go ahead and cut it all off uh, you guys just want to get more followers you know uh, arguments theological from the Old Testament about Isaac and Ishmael uh, anything you can bring in including the kitchen sink is brought in and I call the kitchen sink look at my scars on my back that's the kitchen sink all right And so this is a controversial book. What is the controversy? The controversy is over the use of circumcision. Circumcision is a placeholder for what? For escaping persecution. You see that there? You see that it says, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh... In other words, to circumcise, alright, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to make a good showing in the flesh to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, I want to make a point this morning um, that I think is so necessary as you read Scripture. Every single time you read Scripture, always be thinking what the application of the text is to you. Always. Don't ever read the Bible in such a way that it's so devotional that it's no earthly book good to you okay the bible is a sword sharper than any two-edged sword the, the holy spirit tells us his word is and it says it never goes out except it produces the fruit god sends us out it says it's a fire it says it's a hammer All right. And what this means is that you have to see the application of Scripture. Now, if they were trying to avoid persecution, and if we say today that Turkey is the modern Galatia, all right, what would be the application of the book of Galatians today to Turkey? Let's say, again, the Apostle Paul is concerned about the church in Turkey. There's only a thousand out of 30 million. He's writing them a letter, and he's concerned that they not fail to live by faith, right? Doesn't that sound like an updating of the book, right? Are you with me? Today, a small minority surrounded by people that want to persecute them. And the question is, will they live by the law and fit in or or will they live by faith? So what would be the enticement in Turkey today? Update it. Think, what would it be? You say to me, well, again, today the enticement would be for them to be circumcised so that they could escape persecution, people in Turkey, right? Now, what would it be? What it would be is that the people of God today would be enticed in Turkey to live by sharia, by Islamic law, because that's what the nation of Turkey is, right? You understand. And so how would they be pushed in that direction? Well, the way they'd be pushed in that direction is that they would be encouraged to go ahead and to go to the mosque to pray. They would be encouraged to observe the dietary. They'd be encouraged not to have any alcohol, whatever you do. Don't have alcohol. All right. Why? Well, it's Sharia, It's Islamic law. And what else would they be encouraged to do? Well, another thing they'd be encouraged to do is to not get baptized. Why? Well, because baptism is the way that you show your public faith in Jesus Christ. Now, why would those things be done? Those things would be done to escape persecution. Do you understand this? And so you look all across evangelical missions today, and there's a, a huge movement uh, to cause the converts to Christianity to somehow be able to fit in in such a way that they don't really reject the idols that they come out of that they're able to have a few sort of things that are viewed publicly as pious acts and still have Jesus now isn't that exactly what went on with the Galatians a few sort of Jewish kinda public things circumcision standing in its place so that you won't get persecuted because I got circumcised worry, I'm okay I'm clean you know and then you can have Jesus on the side the, the The main thing, though, is that you follow the law. The main now what law? Well, they're the Jewish law today's Sharia, Islamic law. Now, in its argument, uh, having gone to Columbia Bible College, I know what contextualization is. Missionaries have to contextualize scripture when I say to you every time you read the Bible think how does this apply to me today? What I'm doing is encouraging you to contextualize the word of God to your own heart. Well, as we contextualize it to our own hearts, we also contextualize it to our um, culture. Uh, I met with a man this last week who believes that in America today, no preacher of the gospel should ever say things clearly and bluntly, but rather should always take the edge off them so that they don't offend the people that are listening. So you don't say, thus says the Lord. Now, he wouldn't say that. I'm just using that as an illustration. You don't say obey. You don't... Everything you say, is, as Solzhenitsyn said when he left this country to go back to Russia, he said, in America today, it's very important that you doubt yourself and admit that you may, after all, be wrong. All right, so a preacher will get up in front of you and he'll say this. He'll say, brothers and sisters, and that sounds good because you've got sisters as well as brothers, you know. Brothers and sisters, sometimes, and that sounds good because not always, just sometimes, Brothers and sisters, sometimes I find myself. Well, that's very good because it's passive. You know, I find myself. Oh, well, that sounds neat. Uh, Brothers and sisters, I find myself wondering. (laughs) You know, it's like, yeah, brothers and sisters, I find. (laughs) I better watch out because I'm going to get sarcastic. I mean, look, people, I can do it better than any of you can do it. Now, why am I saying that? Well, if doing that is good, then I'm bragging. If doing that is bad, I'm confessing. I know exactly where my evil heart wants me to go, and that is to scratch your itching ears. Brothers and sisters, see this. Sometimes I find myself wondering, who is this God? And what does He intend? Do you ever find yourself wondering that? And you know, I think that Scripture, scripture would lead us to think in, in ways that are... I mean, come on. <laughs> is that preaching the gospel? It's awful. It's a gospel that, like Kierkegaard said, has been carefully presented to you in such a way that it's like a, a barber that's learned to shave a beard without you feeling it. That's good. Beard comes out, you don't feel it? Good. Gospel goes out, you don't feel it? Bad. Bad. if you can have yourself preached to in such a way that you don't feel the beard coming off, BAD! Why? Because the Gospel is God, and God never leaves us feeling complacent. You know, God is not small. God is not interested in how we feel when it's over. He's interested in whether He has been glorified. And our chief end is to glorify God and by glorifying Him, enjoy Him forever, as John Piper puts it. And so we come back to the Apostle Paul. We come back to all this battle over circumcision. And I ask you, contextualize it. What is it? Well, the temptation today is to say, Let's try to take away as much of the persecution as we can without giving away the essence of the faith. And so let's say that people go to the mosque and they, they follow Sharia and they're not baptized. Is that okay? Now don't shake your head no easily. A huge number of your brothers and sisters in Christ around the United States today, who are supported by the missions budget of churches, do this, all right? And we have to face the question. If they look at us and they say, Look at your prissy American lives, you don't have to suffer anything to get baptized. You can even go in a public school, open the doors, baptize anybody you want. Nobody's going to oppress you, nobody's going to kill you, you're not going to lose your family. Do you understand this? What do you answer? And if you say to them, well, I suffer, they're going to laugh. Oh, yeah, how do you suffer? You didn't get a Lexus, just a Honda Accord. This is what it means to contextualize the gospel. Brothers and sisters, we have to bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters around the world. I'm going to confess to you that when I get these emails that list the persecution going on to other Christians, I don't want to read them. Because it's like a negative trip, dude. You know, I have enough problems of my own. Oh, yeah, right how about the Apostle Paul don't you think he had enough problems of his own and every single time when he got done with those problems he moved into the next city and began preaching again and had a new set of problems that's the nature of the Christian life you know what Dave Carell pastor Carell keeps saying to me he keeps saying to me the fight is not over until you die we always have this idea that God will give us like a month of fight and then 11 months of peace you know what I'm saying And then you have a year where 12 months are fighting with your own sinful flesh, with your husband's sinful flesh, with the sinful flesh of your pastor. Fight the good fight. Lay hold on eternal life. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said that the kingdom of God, what? Anybody know what I'm going to quote? Ben, you and John should know what I'm going to quote. Come on, do you know what I'm quoting? You don't know. John, do you know? Well, they're both sons of a marine. So now what what what's the text? Do you know it? Say it loudly. Like a marine. Stand up. Say it to everyone. No, I'm not gonna get it right. That's all right. Get the sense of it. Ask your dad. He's scripture memory, he knows it. (laughs) That's not loud. Oh. <laughs> the kingdom of God is what? Come on guys. Nobody knows the scripture. Do you know it, Chris? God is advanced, and men take it by force. Okay. The kingdom of God is forcefully advanced and Yeah. I've memorized the one and violent men take it by force violent men take it by force (laughs) this is the book of Galatians Do any of you who have been here as we studied it have any doubt that that's the book of Galatians is Paul a violent man yeah he's not violent in the sense of the worldwide wrestling Federation or whatever it is you know boxers he's not a football player he's infinitely more serious more serious because he's not fighting for his own glory but for the salvation of the souls that he loves right and so we don't believe in preaching the word teaching the word we don't believe in our family devotions of having devotions in such a way that you don't feel the beard coming off Because God has designed the gospel to be the most severe wound a man can ever sustain. When it hits him, he is dead. And only by God's grace does he come back to life again in this life and in the world to come. That's the gospel. And so if you have had a gospel fed to you that doesn't involve your death, it's not a gospel. And we need to maintain our commitment to death here and in Turkey. Do you understand that? We need to not redefine the gospel in such a way that persecution doesn't come. Now for you, that's going to mean that in your class, I heard about a godly woman in our congregation yesterday who teaches uh, in a certain school. And teaches a certain group of people. And in her teaching, she has very sad children. And these children need to know about Jesus Christ. And they need to be loved. So guess what this godly woman does? She hugs them. And she is Jesus Christ to those children. Those children are Jesus Christ to her. You know what else she does? She teaches them about God. Can she be persecuted for that? You bet. Why am I not identifying her like last week I did with Elliot? Because I don't want her to lose her job. And Elliot won't lose his job as Wayne and Joyce's son. (laughs) I don't think, right? No, you're proud of him, right? Okay. Okay. And so we come back and we look at this. It ends with grace. And did you know how the book of Galatians began? Grace. And what's the grace at the beginning? You look at verses 3 and 4. Grace to you. This is how he begins. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. And then it ends, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren, amen. And in the middle, in the book of Galatians, violent men take it by force. Everything, including the kitchen sink, is thrown in. Because souls are at stake. Souls are still at stake today. It's serious business. Now, I have a couple of things I want to say to you as we conclude. Number one... um, here's how calvin ends his um, commentary on the book of galatians very interesting this is the final sentence he says we ought therefore to ask that god would prepare in our souls a habitation for his grace we ought therefore to ask that god would prepare in our souls a house a place a dwelling place for his grace Does the grace of God dwell in your heart, in your soul? Does it dwell in your soul? Does it dwell in your soul? Milton, or one of the poets, says something about hypocrisy is the sin that God alone can say. And so I ask again, does the grace of God live in your heart? Does it live in your heart? Some of you would very easily say yes, and you need to look at your heart and examine yourself to see if the faith dwells within you. Some of you would very easily say no, and I want to address you for a second. If you are a person who says that uh, you think Jesus is a great moral prophet you think that Jesus showed us how to live that you think Jesus was a holy man and you do not say that Jesus on the cross paid for my sin and is my only hope and is God himself The grace of God then, if you do not say that, the grace of God does not live within you. And that means that you are under the curse of God. And there is no hope for you in this life or the next. You may be perceived in your community to be a very holy person. You may be kind you may be a person that picks up hitchhikers you may have taken in twenty foster children you may be very well educated and you may know how to speak in such a way that everybody at IU thinks you're erudite you may have a wife who sings your praises and she may not be lying but if you are not on your knees before the cross of Jesus Christ Proclaiming Him as God Almighty dying for you because you are dead in your trespasses and sins. If you haven't put your faith in Him, there is no hope for you. And I don't say this out of my own inclinations. I say it because this is what Scripture says. Scripture says that Jesus testified about Himself Saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You may say, well, there's another American coming up with his uh, egotistical, uh, self-centered, smug, Republican, exclusive statements. And I say, you know, there there are many hundreds of thousands of godly African pastors who would take my place in an instant and tell you exactly the same thing. It has nothing to do with being white or black. It has nothing to do with being American. Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere, has nothing to do with being Republican. This is what Jesus said about himself. So if you think Jesus is a great moral teacher, here's what he said. I am the way, the way, not a, the. The definite art. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And the truth is, the reason we need the grace of God is that we are so sinful. And you say, well, I'm not so bad. You know, remember Jeffrey Dahmer, he was bad. And I say, you know, you need to come and sit under the preaching of the word so that you learn how bad you are. How bad every single one of us is. You have no clue how bad you are. You are hopeless outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when Paul says at the end of this letter and at the beginning of this letter, the grace and peace of God be on you, your heart should say what? Your heart should say what it does say. I left it off. Did you notice that? If you had your Bibles open and were looking, there's a statement there, and it's actually the title of our sermon today. Look at it again. Galatians 1, verses 3 and 4 and 5. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the reason you need grace, who, Jesus, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Amen. Now, here's an interesting thing. What is the meaning of the word amen? May it be. For sure. The word amen is uh, translated in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Bible they used at the time of Christ and it was only the Old Testament it's translated again and again something like truly or or may it be you come into the New Testament and it appears 129 times in the New Testament of that 129 times 89 of those times it's in or 99 i forget which it is it's in the mouth of Jesus it's how Jesus begins his statements truly truly i say to you amen and amen and do you know that when it's in our Greek Bible it's not translated it's transliterated in other words, it's the Hebrew transliterated into Greek they just use whatever will sound like the Hebrew of Greek letters so it's not translated there's another word like this in the New Testament it's the word Abba but you know that when the word Abba is used that it's almost always translated immediately Abba, Father alright? Aramaic Abba, Father. Alright, not the word Amen, it's just Amen. Alright, and everybody knew that the word Amen meant, may it be, may it be this way. And when you look in Scripture, at the use of the word Amen, what you see is that... This word again and again means may it be so. And it's used in a variety of ways. It's used as a, cur- as, as a way of the people accepting a curse. If you don't follow God, then may your firstborn son die. And all the people said what? Amen. May it be so. What are they saying? They're saying, yes, a curse on me through the death of my son if I don't obey God. It's used that way a number of times in the Old Testament. It's also used as a way of expressing agreement with praise for God. The praise comes out, the people say amen because they're agreeing with the praise. It's also used as a way of expressing agreement with a prophecy or announcement. And it's also used in both the Old and New Testament as a way of expressing one of the characteristics of God. So that God is spoken of in, in Isaiah 65:16 as, quote, the God of Amen. (laughs) Now, what does that mean? Well, what does it mean? Well, what it means is the God of may it be so. In other words, the God who is a God and not an idol. The God who is not gold and silver made by our own hands. Now, the New Testament it's used 129 times, 99 times by our Lord himself, where he begins and says things like, truly, truly, I say to you. It's also used as a way of agreeing with praise for the Lord 23 times. Twice it's used as a way of agreeing with a prophecy or announcement like the Old Testament. Uh, In Revelation, it's used where God is called. Amen. So it's a characteristic of God. And the other places are places like this where it's used to express agreement with a blessing. And it's used by the person who is giving the blessing. Now, here's an interesting thing in in, in all of Scripture. Do you know the one thing that Scripture never does with the word Amen? It never, ever ends a prayer with the word Amen. (laughs) And yet that's how we almost always use it. Now, how did that happen? Well, the way it happened is that um, now some of you are sitting there saying, I got you. Go on, say it. Some of you know you got me. What's the example of an amen ending a prayer? The Lord's Prayer. But the word amen is not used there to end the Lord's Prayer. How is it used? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. See, it's just the same old use of expressing agreement with praise to God. Now, why do we then end prayers with it Lord Jesus help me to do well on this test in Jesus name? Amen. No praise. Why do we do it that way? Well, because in the time of scripture, what did they do? They prayed like this. Eyes open, hands lifted. Now, when your eyes are open and your hands are lifted and it comes to the end of the prayer, how do you know that the prayer ends? Well, it's very obvious. The person leading you in prayer goes like this. Your peripheral vision sees it, and there's no need for a word. But now we pray with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and we need some audible signal that the prayer is over, right? So that's why we use it to end a prayer. So what does this mean? Well, again, if we really believe that the church should be reformed, always reforming, then I'm going to get you out of your comfort seat again, and I'm going to say that the African-American church has it right. They use the word amen properly. Because a pastor will proclaim a biblical truth about the nature of God. And when he says, do I hear an amen, the people will do what? Amen. Right? It's not some wimpy sort of end of kind of prayer, kind of Jesus name. Amen. That's never the meaning of amen. Amen is may it be so. I think that it's quite close to the uh, to the uh, the motto of the Marines. Semper Fide, always faithful. If you just understand that God's the one making it be so, you could just as easily replace Amen with Semper Fide. May it be so, always faithful. He does what he says he's going to do. He is great. And so here's what I want us to do as a congregation. Again, please understand that there are aspects of British blood that's in us that we need to repent of. All right? And one of them is we need to get rid of this notion that the most spiritual worship is the one that least involves any initiative, any loudness, any activity, any body movement. It's just bogus. It's absolutely contrary to everything we see in Scripture, which says, SHOUT TO THE LORD! Which talks about every kind of instrument which shows, which commands us, you know, holy men of old prayed, which commands us to do certain things with our bodies, you know, pray with holy hands lifted, it says. It has kneeling, it has lying on the floor, it has ashes and and sackcloth, and it has amen as a way of the people expressing agreement with the glory of God you should have an active part in worship and you say "Well, we do we have the prayer book and it has responsive readings and I say yes and no yes in that responsive readings are good but no in if everything is unison what easily you fall into what Jesus warned us against which is vain repetitions in other words, there should be spontaneity in a worship service. And it should come out of the abundance of your heart that your mouth speaks. If I'm preaching and there's something that says to you something glorious about Jesus Christ, the Son of God who gave His life for you, you should shout, Amen! There should sometime be something other than white Stoicism. All right? All right? And I'm not saying that to make fun of you. I'm saying that to make fun of myself. We should not be passive in the worship of God. What do you think in heaven? You think they're going to get out Cranmer's prayer book in heaven? It's laughable. I mean, it will be much better than that. And I freely admit that much of our liturgy is much worse than that. That's not my point. My point is in heaven, you will not be able to suppress the hearts of the people of God. We'll be so filled with glory of God and our desire to worship him. Yes, yes. And let me say this. When you say those things, it's such a help to me. I tell some of you who feel you're so awful that you should avoid church. When you show up, I say to you, brother, I need you. I need you. Do you know that song, that beautiful early American song? Brothers, who knows that? Come on, help me with that. Yes, keep going. Carol, come on, you know this. Speak up. And adore the Lord our God. Keep going. And so it's all about worship, and it says, Help us. Help me. You know, when you come to church, you help the people in the pews next to you. You help me preach. When you yell out, Amen, I am helped. When the black preacher says to the congregation, Do I hear an Amen? And they go, Amen! You can sit there and judge it, and you can just say, Well, that's their culture, and it doesn't really mean anything. I say, Bunk. It does mean something. And it, and it should mean something here. I praise God for my brother-in-law, Mark Taylor, who in all the stuffiness of the church I grew up in with Mary Lee, occasionally Mark would yell out, Amen! And Mark is, absolutely hates to have the attention on himself. <laughs> it was completely contrary to nature. You say, yeah, that's the problem with you, Tim. It's not contrary to your nature. <laughs> Okay, all right. So that's why if I shut up, would you please say amen? Amen. Amen. I'm not sure what that meant. (laughs) Okay, let me read Luther to end. We started with him. Let's end with him. This is our final sermon. Are you happy? Here's what Luther says. And you know the old saying, He who laughs last laughs, laughs best? What I'm reading to you is what he said about the book of Galatians when he started preaching through it the second time. to this. He says, I have taken in hand in the name of the Lord yet once again to expound this epistle of St. Paul to the Galatians, not because I desire to teach new things or such as you have not known before, since that by the grace of Christ, Paul is now thoroughly known unto you. But. We have to fear lest Satan take from this this doctrine of faith and bring the church again into the doctrine of works in men's traditions. And therefore, it's very necessary that this doctrine be kept in continual practice in public exercise, both of hearing and reading. And although it never be so well known, Yet the devil, who rages continually seeking to devour us, is not dead. The devil isn't dead, and he's trying to kill us. Similarly, our flesh and our old man is yet alive. (laughs) Do I hear? Amen. Amen. Besides this, all kinds of temptations do vex and oppress us on every side so that this doctrine can never be taught, urged, and repeated enough. If this doctrine is lost, then also the doctrine of truth and life and salvation is also lost and gone. If this doctrine flourishes, then all good things flourish. Religion, the true service of God, the glory of God, the right knowledge of all things which are necessary for a Christian man to know. Because, therefore, we would be occupied and not idle, we will begin now where we made an end. According to the saying of the Song of Sirach, when a man has done what he can, he must begin again. So this is how he began his next series of sermons on the book of Galatians. Luther, he was, he was a dude. Can you imagine? Anytime you get sick of me, you just think who you could have had. <laughs> you could have had Paul. And you could have had Luther. And they were serious men. They were violent men. I praise God. For the apostle Paul I praise God for Martin Luther and I praise God for those of you Glenn who are violent men that doesn't leave you women out but you do want to marry a violent man and not a passive one especially in the things of the soul and now the grace of Jesus Christ be on all of you Amen.